This is John Amwachekwa, and you are listening to Reclamation Worship. My name is Jason Allen, and I'm the host here at Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. Hope you're doing well. It is a joy to bring you this podcast and to bring you this man of God that I am putting before you today. It is my hope that uh, that I can bring before you, before your listening ears, men and women who have been, who are being used of God to help me think through this issue of worship and um, how this worship of God is to involve, include all of our lives. Again, it's not just that first 30 minutes before the sermon on Sunday morning. We're to worship God with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength with all of our lives. And so today's guest uh, has helped me to think through that. I met John back in seminary about nine or 10 years ago, and it has been a joy to watch the Lord use this brother to grow the church. John has a heart for the people of God. He has a heart for the Word of God. I told John toward the end of the interview that he's one of my favorite preachers, and I mean that. I'm so encouraged by this brother and um, his love for the Lord, his love for the Lord's Word and the Lord's people is, is clearly heard in his preaching. So I would encourage you to listen to John if you have not heard him preach. Uh, look him up. Go to Cornerstone Church's website. I'll link to that in uh, the show notes at reclamationworship.com. And I'll also be linking to the book that we're going to be discussing today, John's book on prayer. It's prayer, how praying together shapes the church. It's published by Crossway, and it's part of Nine Marks, Building Healthy Churches series. So you'll be able to see this book at reclamationworship.com. I would encourage you to buy a couple of copies Read one yourself, give the other one away, and uh, maybe buy a third to put under the Christmas tree for somebody. Uh, it's going to be uh, a great gift to them. So also while you're at reclamationworship.com, be sure and click on that link on the right-hand side. It'll take you to your Amazon landing page where you can order all of your Amazon goodies. And, uh, and Reclamation Worship will get a small percentage of your sale, not that your stuff will cost any more a gift to me from Amazon uh, because of me sending your traffic their way. And so please help support um, Reclamation Worship and Amazon. You can support Amazon too, but support Reclamation Worship by uh, following that link on my website, reclamationworship.com. All right, enough of that. Let's get on over to the interview. Here is John Anwuchekwa. Look, before we get going uh, and talking about your book, I, I just want to say, I, I know you're a big Houston Rockets fan, but uh, yeah. I, I watched the Hawks last night in, in an exhibition preseason game. Hey, Trey Young hit the game winner. You did, man. Yeah, you so, saw that, right? Yeah. Look, look this Hawks yeah. train's leaving the station, so if you want to if you want to get on board, now. Oh, no, 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 no. Hawks will make the playoffs in the East. But, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, no, I'm excited about <laughs> Trey Young. I think it'll be fun to watch. Um, How old is Vince? I'm going to go to the Hawks. Uh, I think he's like 41. 
Okay. I was thinking he has to be 120 years old. I mean, he, hey, he's something. going and going, man. It's crazy that he's still playing. But. He's found the fountain of youth. Yeah. Um, so, look, uh, for the people out there, um, I, I just want to say uh, two things I know about you. You're a huge Rockets fan. Uh, well, other than your love for Jesus and, and the church. Uh, huge Rockets fan, but but also you are a coffee ninja. Like you you know more about coffee than most people I know. So tell me tell me a little bit about your love for coffee. Yeah, it I started. Um, let me see. Seven years ago, uh, I was passing a blueprint. We started this institute that was aimed at you know providing master's level theological training for folks who were in the context of our church. Well, in order to do it with this like first class of folks that we had, it was like 40 people. They all had full-time jobs. So we met Monday nights and Wednesday mornings, but we had to meet early Wednesday before rush hour traffic. So for a year, well, for three years, I mean, it was Wednesday morning at 5.30 a.m. Okay. Well, I was one of the lead teachers there, so I had to be up early and prepare. And on weeks that I procrastinated, I had to be up earlier <laughs> and prepare to teach. Okay. Well, this first year, we had a... I did that, and then I would come home from work, and we would have a pre-marital counseling appointment. So I'll be up for like 20 hours out of the day and oh, man. got to the point to where it's like, Chandra, I need something. And all that we had was some instant Folgers that my parents left there. Okay. And I was like, Oh, this isn't as bad as I thought. And through the years, it's just, it's grown from yeah, there. Just grown in my love for born out of necessity then. Yeah. But just found out that there's this whole world that I had no clue about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my wife is appreciative to you because from you, I learned about Chemex and I got her a Chemex. And so, yeah. So All she's, right. She's thankful to you. Um, yeah. Tell her she's welcome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, look, man, I, again, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, I want to talk about your book that uh, was recently released, um, Prayer, How Praying Together Shapes the Church. Um, John, why'd you write the book? What, what led you to write about corporate prayer? Yeah, um, man, I've read so much helpful stuff about prayer um, as an individual discipline, uh, but I hadn't read as much of it in terms of it as a corporate exercise. And um, as I think of the churches that I've been a part of through the years, uh, I've been a part of a bunch of different type of churches. But at the end of the day, I think one of the lines that's really been drawn for me or um, churches that pray together a whole lot and prayer is its own thing and churches that don't and you there's just no difference in the way that that the church feels a difference in 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 the way that um christianity is practiced and engaged with there's just a a different type of rest that comes. And so um, mm -hmm. I just feel like, man, praying together is something that we all can do. It doesn't take time. It doesn't take, 
yeah, lots of planning or budget, but it yields an amazing result. And so I just really wanted churches that felt like they were struggling under the weight of trying to start or trying to maintain or trying to grow to be able to get the relief that comes from Mm. uh, praying together. So that was why I wrote the book. Good, man. So I know we hear the word prayer and a lot of us think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's one of those things that I should be doing, need to be doing. But you get into your book and and you realize uh, there's a whole nother level, like just the the critical nature of uh, if we're not praying, uh, what's not going to be happening uh, within the the life of the church. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it you really help shine a light on the necessity of prayer, um, yeah. and not just the fact that yeah, it's one of those spiritual disciplines that I know I need to be doing. Yeah, yeah, and and just like you know, like you said, I mean. Most of the times when we think of prayer and think what we should do, right, we, we're gripped with this sense of guilt. Like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I know I should. All right, I'm really going to try hard this time. Um, like, that's how we try to rev ourselves up to pray, and that's how we try to rev up folks that are in our church to pray. But when you go to the scriptures, um, Jesus never encourages anybody to pray through guilt. That's just not what he does. He always gives an incentive and says, yo, look at that. Like, look at what you had. Like he wants us to know that it is a blessing, something that we sleep on and not, you should be ashamed of yourself. Mm, That's good. That's good. Yeah. What, why do you think it is so hard for us to pray individually? And before we get into talking about corporate prayer, why, why is it that we struggle uh, at least it's hard for some people, I think. Why is that, do you believe? Yeah. Um, part of it is uh, we hate to admit our neediness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels, it doesn't feel like it's going to get us any closer towards our goal because we kind of view it as... Um, it's good. It's a good thing that we should do, but we don't really view it as a solution and an answer to what's really wrong. Um, I really think that we don't pray because we've misdiagnosed Mm -hmm. the source of our problems. We spend so much time on the symptoms Mm -hmm. um, and not the source where if we really knew what was wrong, I think we would pray. Yeah. Um, So probably the best way that I've heard prayer described is um, in using the metaphor of breathing, right? And to this day, Google is still undecided as to who said it, if it was Martin Luther or Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. But uh, both of them say to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And I just felt like Wow. Man, prayer is breathing really captures the essence of prayer, mm-hmm. that what prayer is meant for um, is the same thing that breathing is meant for, right? So yeah. you can take that met- metaphor and stretch it as far as you want to. I think we get all our strength to do what God has called us to do from the way that we pray. Um, to not pray is to hold our breath and you can swim uh, with your head underwater and hold your breath. And some people can swim for a long time and be just fine. But eventually you're going to run out of breath. And when you run out of breath, 
you leap up and you gasp for air. And what you find is, yeah, Christian, non-Christian, I do not care who you are. Um, whenever anybody hits a crisis point where they feel like they're out of breath, the, the first thing that we do, it's instinctive. We pray, we say, God help. Why God? Things like that. And so, mm. um, I feel like God gave us the gift of prayer and he made it in such a way where we can do it at any time and any place, not so that we would take it for granted and try to fit it conveniently into our schedule. But I think, uh, he gave us the gift to be able to pray to him at any time, at any place because we need him at every time in every place. And so to not pray um, is really to set ourselves up to try to live through this life on our own, in our own strength. And that's preparing for Mm. certain destruction and death to fail in 10,000 ways. Mm. So, so for some who would level the criticism that, hey, we as a church are impotent, we're, we're helpless, we're not doing anything. One reason that you think that might be is because we're not praying enough or, or we're praying together. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Just because I feel like, yeah, you know, when we do pray, uh, we're our eyes are more tuned to see the way that God works. And when we pray and we ask God to do things that only he can do, and we see him do those things, what it does is it builds our confidence. And we're reminded that it's like, Oh, we can actually go out in faith because we know that God is, God will provide for us and it'll lead us to step out and to do things that we wouldn't do if we think that it all depends on us. And so sometimes I think even the impotence of a church and their, you know, the tentative or the timid way that they engage their context and the timidity that surrounds them being on mission. I, I think a lot of time it comes from a lack of prayer and folks mm. feel like, I've got to do all this on my own. And you know what it's like when you feel like, man, this task is too big and I've got to do it on my own. You shrink back from it, right? Yeah. Like It's like, a, yeah, being in school and yeah, a bully says, yo, right at the school, we're going to fight. You do everything that you can to avoid mm-hmm. school being done. But let that same bully say that same thing to you um, and you have an older brother that's stronger than that bully. Yeah. You don't trip, right? You walk out confidently with your head, head held high at the end of the day, not because you know that you can beat him up, but you know that you have somebody on your side, um, yeah. that yeah, will fight for you. And so that's the type of confidence and courage that comes with a church that prays. Mm. So what does prayer look like at, at Cornerstone where you pastor um, both uh, maybe talk about if y'all have a midweek prayer time and then what it looks like in the service? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we um, do our best to try to think of things like this. Uh, we pray when we gather and then we gather to pray. Right. Okay. So on Sundays, um, when we pray, um, prayer is its own thing, right? So when we sing, you know, that's its own thing. When we preach, 
It's its own thing. When we greet, that's its own thing. Um, and so prayer is not a transition for the band to get on and off stage for us to get to the plates up front to um, give. But we start off and we read from God's word just about his greatness. In our first prayer of the day, we take time, sometimes three to five minutes, and we just sit and pause and we praise God for his greatness. And it's just a great way to recalibrate the hearts of folks that come into the church that are so gripped. Because uh, they think all the problems that they have in their world are great. And what you've learned is that, you know, you know, a penny can block out the sun if you hold the penny close enough to your eyes. Mm-hmm. So as folks come in, we're trying to say, hey, let's take this penny mm-hmm. of your problems. Let's remove that from your eyes. And here's what I want to put in front of your eyes. I want to put in front of your eyes um, the greatness of God. And I want you right? Not to ask him to come in to solve your problems, not to ask him for a thing, but just for us to praise him for who he is and have our hearts uplifted. So we'll pray like that. And then what we found is that um, after you start to pray like that and and folks really see how great God is, um, the reflex of the soul that sees how great God is is you sit back and you reflect on the many ways that you've senselessly failed him this week. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, then that's at a point where we'll take some time after we sing a few songs um, and we'll just break and we'll have somebody confess, uh, lead us in the way that we confess our sins. And really the goal of that time is we want folks that are a part of our church to say like me too. Right. So we just want them as somebody starts to to confess their sins up front, they would be sitting in their seat and they would feel like that was me. I've done the same thing. Me too. Me too. And then at the end, when we talk about the greatness of what God has done and the fact that he's promised forgiveness for repentance, then people can rejoice because as sure as they've repented of their sins, the promises that we read are for them too. Yeah. Um, And then we'll have a time where uh, a pastor will step up and lead our church um, in a prayer of thanks and petition. Mm -hmm. So what it is, it's just a time where we are, we thank God for the ways that that he's been good to us. And we continue to plead and to ask him to be, um, to continue to be good to us. And uh, so what this looks like, this is probably, yeah, a five to seven minute prayer that takes place where we're praying uh, for the specific needs mm-hmm. of people that are in the life of our church. So we call them out by names. And so we're routinely praying for the single parents in our church and just the struggle that it is that they have. We pray that God would give them grace. We're routinely praying for the folks at our church that are consultants, artists, flight attendants that spend their time away from the church traveling. We're praying for uh, new moms and new dads, folks that are getting married. We're praying for the community that we're in, the principals and the schools. We're praying for the city that we're in, the policymakers. And we just kind of take these concentric circles and we pray and then we we pray for our world. Mm. Um, and our hope is at the end of the time, just 
any burden that folks would have on their heart that they would feel like it's been laid for, for mm. um, yeah, God. And so, um, yeah, so, I mean, we may meet for an hour and a half total each week, uh, depending on how long I, I preach. Yeah, maybe two hours uh, <laughs> that we meet. But, yeah, probably yeah, 15 to 20 minutes um, is spent praying. Right. And it's just, uh, um, it's so funny because folks are caught off guard at first. And then after they come for a bit, it's, it's just like, everybody has the same response, right? It's not like, this is amazing. Where did y'all think of the fact that y'all should pray? Right. (laughs) Nobody sees it. They're all like, huh? Yeah. It makes sense that we would pray. Why don't like, why is this the first place that I've been to that we pray? Like, so folks come in and far from feeling like foreign and out of place, they're like, oh yeah, yeah. like, Mm. oh, this is what we should do. Why don't we do this more? And we're Mm. like, exactly. I wrote a book on it. Yeah, right. Well, so two um, things come to mind when you when you say that you you quoted Mark Dever, and maybe I'm paraphrasing yeah. you that we should pray so much in our church gatherings that the non-believers yeah. get bored. Um, yeah. And so I think Mark said that, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what? Um, yeah, I mean, when 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 you think of that, that's not in church growth manuals, right? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't think no. People are are going to be uh, selling that at the church growth conferences. Nah. Yeah. No, no, and it's not. And, but, but that's where it's like, yeah, yeah, people don't come to church to experience the stuff that they do all throughout the rest of their week. Right. So that's where it kind of, yeah, it throws me off. You know, when we get into the entertainment battle mm. or, or things like that, we're just not going to, we just can't compete. Right. Like that's not what we're here for. Like people come to church, um, I think to get, um, an experience of God, uh, in a different way than they do throughout the rest of the week. So I don't think they're thrown off by the fact that we spend time praying, right. Mm -hmm. Or the feedback that we've gotten from most folks is it's like, it's refreshing. Mm. Why don't, like, why don't Christians do this? We talk about how um, Christianity is not a religion and it's a relationship. And we do know that relationships commit, uh, consist in communication both ways, mm-hmm. but it seems like yeah, it's odd to be in a church and to spend part of the time communicating to mm-hmm. God. And so we're just trying to make it as yeah, normal and expected and trying to help folks see like, you know, engaging with God and for you to come here and to leave, um, you don't need lots of resources. You don't need bells and whistles. You don't need comfort. You don't need well, clear, defined programs to leave out and feel like you've engaged with God. You need to hear from him and feel like 
that you yourselves have been heard. And I just don't know how uh, we can feel like God has heard us if we don't pray. And I wow. feel like that if we do pray, people come and they leave with this sense of not just, oh man, that was a good word. I'm glad that I heard from God. But when we spend time and pray, I think folks leave and they, they leave with this sense like, oh, like I participated, I engaged, I related with God, yet I spoke to God, I heard from God, me and God, we and God had a good time relating mm-hmm. in worship. Wow. And it doesn't take anything but a little intentionality in the way that we pray and plan. There you go. So as you um, have talked about um, your congregation participating in this and, and uh, being active in worship, it just I'm left to believe that uh, their faith can't help but grow over time as they pray together. Yeah. And uh, you, yeah. you say um, in the book, prayer is mentioned no less than 21 times in Acts. Furthermore, these prayers are inherently corporate. Whenever prayer is mentioned, it overwhelmingly involves others. And uh, I recently talked to Bob Coughlin about me-centric music in the church. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like a lot of our prayers are me-centric too. So what right. are some ways that corporate prayer differs from praying as an individual? I don't think that the essence of prayer changes. I do think when we're with people praying, uh, it helps us to guard against the selfish ways that we misuse prayer when we're by ourselves. Right. Yeah. Um, So even when Jesus is instructing us on how to pray when we're by ourselves, um, he doesn't just tell them when they pray to say, Lord, give me the bread that I need for the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he says, no, 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 Lord, give us the bread that we need for today. So Mm -hmm. even when I'm by myself, I'm not just praying that God would provide all of my needs. I'm praying that God would provide for my needs and those that aren't in the room. And so, you know, I just think of time and time again, not just that, but even the way that Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer Mm -hmm. and the way that he prayed that we didn't even see his prayer, Mm -hmm. but we heard him talk about his prayer when he comes to Peter and he says, Yo, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but but I've prayed for you, mm. right? When I'm up early, I'm by myself, Peter. You're on my mind and you're on uh, my heart. And that's why I feel like it yeah, fits well in the life of the church mm. because it reminds us that you know, our spiritual disciplines are not just for us, like mm. they're for the community. So. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and as we're praying for each other um, and, and seeing God answer those prayers, I think it builds our faith. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, you say that the story of Gethsemane is as much about the power mm-hmm. of prayers. It is about the inevitable failure that comes from prayerlessness. Yeah. Jesus faithfulness to God. You, let's see. You say Jesus faithfulness to do God's task is directly tied to his prayer. The disciples' faithlessness is directly tied to their prayerlessness. 
So you've yeah. drawn out a remarkable point, um, but you go on to show that there's a beautiful transformation that takes place in the lives of the disciples. Yeah. And yeah. you cite the passages in Acts that shows them praying together. And as a result, you say they began to look like their Savior. So, Amen. yeah, any, any thoughts on what led to their maturation and uh, in, in being faith, more faithful to pray? Yeah, uh, the only thing that I can think of is the resurrection, right? Mm-hmm. That Jesus prayed and was confident that he was being led by God to go into the right way. And yeah. they knew him to be a man of resolve and he was going to go where God led him. Yeah. And Jesus took a beeline right to the place that they feared the most death. Mm-hmm. And he raised from the dead. And I think like the author of Hebrews brings up is he's like, oh, and when Christ died um, and he raised from the dead, he, he freed all of those, all of us who lived with this lifelong bondage of being scared of death. We were enslaved by this fear of death. And I think the, the disciples see him raised from the dead. Mm. And 40 days later, they find themselves in a place where their very lives are being threatened. Mm. and uh, they are released and they come out and they pray for boldness to do God's work. And I think they were confident that even if the worst befalls us, um, it's not the worst, right? Death for us is not a period, right? Right, It's, it's, it's a comma. It just, it's just this short pause and a short break into the destination that God's trying to lead us to. Yeah. The resurrection's coming. For all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, for those of us who uh, feel weak and helpless uh, and can Mm -hmm. see ourselves in the garden uh, like the disciples, uh, it's so encouraging what you point out that later in Acts and and just beyond how powerful these these men uh, and women were who, 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 as you say, took the resurrection as the as the guarantee, the, the, the promise that things have changed. Amen. Amen. So, um, John, you, you talk about, um, the problem of, um, racial tension, uh, in the book. And so, um, you say here, uh, diversity is more about priorities than programs and a church prays for what it prioritizes. Your prayer list essentially serve as price tags on current events and church concerns assigning value or diminishing it. And therefore you don't populate the prayer list in isolation, populate the list with the concerns of all the flock. The the honorable strides toward diversity are maximized when we pray together to our father who has no favorite children. So this is great advice for church leaders like me. Thank you for that. (laughs) I appreciate it. Uh, But along these lines, um, for guys like me who are burdened by the racial tension uh, and divide both outside and inside the church, uh, yeah. but, but feel helpless to do anything about it. Any counsel, yeah. any other counsel on how we might be able to help bridge the divide? The other counsel is um, yeah, changing conversation partners. Um, one of the things that I appreciate about um Tim Keller, and this really doesn't have to do with like race stuff, but just uh, if you hear him talk about 
um, any other worldview, mm-hmm. uh, he never presents straw men, or mm-hmm. I haven't seen him. Mm-hmm. He can often do a better job of articulating the worldview of somebody he disagrees with than the person that holds it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, man, that's just him. You know, he, he puts in the work to articulate that view so that uh, when there is healthy concern that does have to be brought up, when he does want to push back, um, he finds himself in an actual conversation and not an argument where folks are saying, Hey, um, yeah. All right. Hey, I know you used critical race theory and social justice, but ah, I don't even like you don't use that term the way that my conversation partners use it. So it's fruitless for us to have a conversation because yeah, you haven't listened or you've listened to the people that you aren't having this conversation with. And so I think, man, one of the best things is just to change conversation partners. And I found myself needing to do it as somebody who finds myself in worlds where, no, I'm constantly speaking at conferences uh, that are predominantly white and just, just kind of in, in these worlds with TGC and all of these, folks, it's easy. Like I looked at my Twitter timeline the other day and it was just like, um, the conversation partners that I had online, the stuff that constantly came through my timeline was so disconnected from the people that were in my church or folks that live where I live. So I just went on line and I unfollowed like, a lot of folks that I did who, man, I love and respect and have been built up by stuff that they've done. And then I went online, like back to, you know, my homeboys that I grew up with back before I really started to walk with the Lord. And I'm like, all right, who are you? Mm. And, and I just put all them so that now I, I, I just have a diverse group of conversation partners and I'm really trying to understand, um, arguments or the philosophies of groups that I think I disagree with. Yeah. Uh, but I really just want to make sure that I understand it first. So that's, that's, so that's what I'd say. I mean, the, yeah, you know, the quickest way to, you know, contention, uh, or confusion is, uh, to critique a viewpoint that you don't completely comprehend. Mm. And I just feel like there's lots of that that goes back and forth. Sure. Yeah. Well, and to your point, Keller and and guys like him are so unthreatened by other people's right. views that I, I think right. it, it lends them to be more gracious in their understanding right. of others. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. Well, John, man, you are uh, one of my favorite preachers, and uh, uh, and after reading your book, uh, I can say you're one of my favorite writers too. Uh, uh, thanks, thanks. Man, I love your thanks. style. Uh, it's like you're sitting in the room, and so uh, yeah, no pretense. It was it's great. So I really appreciate. It. It's going to be very helpful to the church, man. And so thank you for oh. investing your time in doing this. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, man. All right. Hey, man. God bless. All right, yeah, yeah, same to you, man.
Well, there you have it. John Anwuchekwa. Check him out at reclamationworship.com. His book will be uh, linked there in the show notes. And again, uh, Cornerstone Church, I'll put a link there as well in the show notes so you can uh, listen to his preaching and uh, be encouraged by this brother. Uh, Very thankful again for John taking the time to uh, talk with me and uh, by extension talking to you. So um, very grateful for him. Please, uh, if you're on Instagram, check out Reclamation Worship. At Reclamation Worship is the handle on Twitter. It's at Reclamation HQ. On Facebook, Reclamation Worship. And again, the website is reclamationworship.com. So like, subscribe, follow, do whatever you can do on all of those various platforms to support this podcast. I really appreciate you listening. And until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.